Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Sarah Holmes. She is the owner and founder of Love Your Mother Boutique, based right here in Toronto. How are you doing today, Sarah? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so very much for being here and taking the time out of your day to share a bit about your story and your journey with me here today on the Empowerography Podcast. I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, it's such a pleasure. So let's jump right in. You are the owner of an eco-forward lifestyle company, Love Your Mother Boutique. You're a women's rights activist and a digital digital marketing specialist. How did you get into digital marketing and how long have you been involved in that world? So I've actually only been in digital marketing for about a year. I've just always loved being, you know, a creative in everything I do. So I worked different jobs throughout university. And I think really that's what kind of drove me towards it. I um, was a ballet teacher and then I was a consultant for women. And so when I was traveling through Vietnam and the pandemic hit, I had to rush home and I was just looking for work and I was lucky enough to have this opportunity uh, present itself. So where, what opportunity was it that got you into digital marketing or that brought this about for you? So I think what happened was I got home and I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I know that I love being around people and helping people. And so I found a job uh, with a marketing company and they hired me to help with the shop local program. So it was a shop local program that helped support businesses struggling with the pandemic. Yeah. Okay. Now, as mentioned, you're the owner and founder of an eco-forward lifestyle company. Can you tell us what an eco-forward company is and does? Yeah. So essentially, an eco-forward company like mine provides simple, transparent, and beautiful solutions that make your life easier while helping you reduce your eco footprint. Okay. Now, what inspired the decision to become an eco-forward company? Yeah, a few things, really. I guess I grew up loving nature. I went to camp as a kid. I'd spend weekends outdoors with my family. And then uh, last year before the pandemic, I was traveling through Australia, living in a van. And so I spent all my time outdoors and I decided I wanted to live a zero waste lifestyle. And I realized that this was just so much easier than it is in Canada. And so when I came home and started working in marketing, I thought, well, why not? give it a go and try and make this a reality here as well. Amazing. Australia is such a beautiful country, isn't it? Oh my gosh. Incredible. I'm in love. (laughs) (laughs) And amazing. And the people are so wonderful and friendly there. Yes, exactly. Can you tell us what Love Your Mother Boutique is all about? What you sell, what you offer? 
Yeah. So Love Your Mother Boutique. Like I said, it's an eco for boutique that sells lifestyle products. And the products are made by both women in my family and then others across Canada. So we have everything from bath and beauty products, kitchen essentials, and then things that help make like on the go living more sustainable. And so I guess my goal was that I didn't want people to have to sacrifice anything to be eco-friendly. So I wanted to make sure that our products are, you know, high quality, they're all natural. And of course they're, they're also beautiful. And yeah, so right now we're actually in the process of creating our own line. So hopefully, yeah. (laughs) So hopefully by the summer, I'll tell you more about that. Yeah. So is this something you've always been concerned with and, and conscious about in terms of, like protecting mother earth and the ecosystem or is this something that just came up or became new for you once you got back from, or once you were in Australia? Yeah. You know, more so in recent years, I mean, I've always loved, you know, mother earth and everything that she's given me growing up, but now I think I'm more passionate and involved in giving back to her. Right. Now you've said that you aspire to make light, make low waste life as easy as possible for Canadians and help reduce the eco footprint without compromising lifestyle. How do you plan to do that, Sarah? Yeah, so my goal is to create and provide sustainable alternatives that are just as easy to use as, you know, what we use now. So, for example, you know, we carry these sponge cloths that replace 17 rolls of paper towel. And then once you're done, they're just, they're biodegradable. And the best part is that they're they're beautiful and they come in different designs. And honestly, I think they look much nicer than a roll of paper towel. <laughs> How did you come up with a name for your company and how long have you been in business? Yeah, so we're actually pretty new. We opened in October, on October 14th. And I chose the name because my mother and my grandmother have played, you know, a huge role uh, in helping me on this journey. My grandmother, actually, she's the one who makes the pottery that we sell. Yeah, and my mom glazes it. And then, of course, the name, you know, to honor Mother Earth as well. Right. Awesome. Why did you decide upon a boutique style shop? And is it brick and mortar? Is it a brick and mortar business or done out of your house and online? Yeah. So we were going back and forth between, you know, creating a bricks and mortar or just, you know, selling online. And right now we're online um, and it's working great, especially because, you know, with the pandemic. Yeah. But again, you know, who knows? (laughs) Is that, is that the goal to eventually become a brick and mortar? I think so. We have a few goals. And so, you know, we want to become a platform where people can sell their eco-friendly goods. And then we also, you know, want to, you know, help as many people as possible. And so we're not sure if if bricks and mortar is is the way to go, but it's definitely a possibility. Oh, so you're going to have other creators have their product available through your boutique. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Okay, very cool. Was that something you decided you wanted to do right from the beginning? Yes, I think, well, the goal was to, yeah, help empower women and allow them to have, like, give them space and create space for them on our site. We'll also have our own coming, but we still want to be able to honor these women, you know, throughout our journey. Yeah, now, will will you only be focusing on having women entrepreneurs sell their products? I don't. Not necessarily, but it's definitely kind of one of our pillars. So we want, we want to maintain that. Yeah. 
Now, Sarah, I know through previous conversation with you, you started in ballet dancing as a kid. How old were you when you started and why did you stop dancing? What precipitated that? Yeah, I started uh, ballet when I was two years old. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my mom says I was really clumsy and so it was to kind of help me. <laughs> but yeah, so I danced all the way through until my last year of high school. And then I stopped uh, due to a knee and hip injury. Ah, uh, okay. How was that? That must have been tough for you and heartbreaking at the same time, no? It was heartbreaking. You know, I spent every day except Sunday in the dance studio. You know, it was my dream and everything that I worked towards. And so it was a huge, I guess, shock and adjustment. And yeah, it, it, I wasn't expecting it, of course, in my last year of high school when you're supposed to be making your your choices and yeah so it was it was definitely a, a pivotal moment in my life how did you deal with that and overcome that yeah you know I had a lot of support I had my friends and family I went through I did go through a really I guess hard time but I think we'll talk about it a little bit later but I did find you know my passion through teaching and that kind yeah. of brought back my love for ballet and so you know it wasn't all roses and the sunshine yeah, but it, yeah. it, I made my way back to it for sure was that your was it your dream though to become a, a professional ballet dancer when you were a kid it was yes definitely yeah so great segue you mentioned teaching so you now teach young girls ballet how did the opportunity to teach come up for you Yes. So I'm not teaching right now, of course, because yes. you know, I was traveling and then the pandemic hit. But I took a couple of years off after my injury. As I said, I was, you know, a little bit down and didn't really want to be in the world at all. And I just, you know, I felt that kind of my time had been cut short. But one day I decided to take an adult ballet class at my university. And it turned out that my childhood teacher was the ballet teacher. <laughs> Which was yeah, so that was amazing, and she, you know, invited me, kind of into her life, into her family, and you know, we had lunch, and she talked. She really was just so encouraging. She'd been through a similar thing, and and she encouraged me to actually go to the American Ballet Theater, where I, which is in New York, and I then got my teacher training certificate and and joined her in teaching, you know, ballet across the city at a few different schools and yeah it was amazing amazing I mean I'm sure that it's obviously it doesn't feed that want for for dancing for yourself but I'm sure it, it helps the process being able to share your gifts as a dancer and help other kids along with their goals in terms of dancing thank you yeah and you know it, it really it does it, it fuels my passion and allows me to be creative and I love children and I I love seeing them grow and so it definitely has brought back that love for ballet. How long was the training in New York? Oh goodness a few weeks and then I've been back a few times to do more it uh it was yeah it was very intense it was you know all day every day and you had a bunch of exams I remember so I was I was standing up to do my exam in front of you know this beautiful French ballet master and I guess I looked so nervous and, you know, I was holding my breath and he says to me, you know, he says, you need to breathe. Do you know why you need to breathe? Or he said, no, do you know what happens when you don't breathe? And I was like, uh, you die. And he's like, yeah, you die. So start breathing. Like, okay. <laughs> 
but it was amazing. <laughs> Make it a little bit lighthearted there. Exactly. <laughs> Sarah, you also have a background in history focusing on women and the criminal justice system. Was it intentional from the beginning for you to focus on women? And if so, why the intent to do so? Yeah, I do. So I did my undergrad in history and political science. And that was actually because my grandfather was a historian and I admired him so much. And I went to the university that he worked at and or had worked at and every Tuesday night, you know, I would go to his house for dinner, we would sit in the living room, we would talk about what I was learning, you know, I was just so passionate about it. And then he passed away in my last year of undergrad. And I was devastated. I hadn't decided on my next step. And I was hoping he would be there. And so, you know, coincidentally, I took a seminar in my last semester, so the next semester after he had passed, and it was with an incredible professor who he had worked with, and yeah, and she encouraged me to study women in the criminal justice system and to write about it for my final paper. And, you know, I just loved it, and I think she loved it, and I was just so empowered by this that I actually ended up going back to the same school for my master's degree. And, and I worked with this prof as my supervisor and continued my... The same training. prof? Same prof. <laughs> <laughs> you have so many connections to the teachers. It's hilarious. I know. I know. Luckily. <laughs> so that was amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Now, again, I know from previous conversation with you, you're a huge advocate for women, sex workers and their labor rights. How long has this been a focus for you? Yeah, so most people are surprised when I tell them this. But what happened was during my master's, I took a course about history and the history of sex work. And then I ended up actually, I just loved it. And I became a research assistant for that prof. And so again, my connection with teachers, she she took me under her wing and she, she was incredible. She invited me to join her in consulting the city of Toronto in regards to sex worker labor rights. And so this was just, you know, an unbelievable moment for me. I felt like I was making a difference, you know, uncovering the injustices that had been taking place and, you know, coming up with concrete solutions to change our, our city and, and these laws. And so how long did you stay working in that? Like, did you do anything with it after you finished school? Yes, but only, only briefly, because then I decided, you know, I, I, again, after my master's, I was confused. I didn't know what to do. And and so I decided to travel, but I'm definitely, you know, I advocate for it on social media. I work in digital media and I try and, you know, use my platform to advocate for these women as much as possible. And, you know, hopefully I'll be able to get into it in a more meaningful way again soon. Why is this issue so personally important to you? Yeah. So when I was doing my research and and working for sex worker rights, there was a specific case that happened at the time and a transgender woman, a sex worker was attacked by a client. And then in self-defense, she stabbed him. And when the police were called, they arrived And instead of tending to the man who eventually died, they pepper sprayed her and then took her to a male prison. So this specific incident, you know, really motivated me to work harder. And I, you know, I I felt so determined to to make a difference. At the same time, I was working, teaching in a at a ballet school in Regent Park. Uh 
so, and, you know, I, I would come into contact with sex workers um, in that area and I saw what they were going through when I, and, you know, they were real people. They weren't just this, this idea that was talked about. And I thought, you know, we need to make a difference for these women. Like this cannot continue to happen. And yeah. so it really, it was very emotional for me and very, very personal. Yeah. Now, have you seen change? I mean, I know you, you haven't really dabbled or worked in that world or done any work in there since school but have you seen changes being made in in the world for sex workers and rights for sex workers yes actually you know in when i was working you know we saw eight body parlors body parlors there legalized and so which was incredible it was so exciting it meant that you know these women could have safe working environments and were able to receive healthcare like the rest of society it was and so that was very exciting so there has been change but um it is still seen as such a taboo subject that there's definitely a lot more that needs to be done yeah now speaking of taboo subjects what were people's reactions when you would tell them you're advocating for for sex workers rights like on the whole what was the reaction like to you yeah, I mean, people always say, you know, why sex workers? And people feel awkward, they feel uncomfortable, they all, they have their opinions, and that's totally fair. And, you know, it's important to be compassionate. But I just think that in the the root of it is that these are just, these are women, they're strong, courageous, and they deserve to be safe at work. And that was always just my my message to anyone who, you know, <laughs> wanted to yeah. talk about it. Yeah. Amazing. I read that you are determined to disrupt the system and create space for all women to shine and achieve their goals. Why have you decided to take on this mission and why is it so personally important to you? Yeah. So, I mean, we live in a system that is, of course, male dominated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you look at government or corporations and you see, you know, a white man. And our society is one that needs to be changed. I think most people agree with me when we say that we all need to fight every day undo this injustice you know and we need to ensure that equity prevails and space needs to be created for for women to thrive because you know it's, it's so important and, and this has always been a passion of mine you know I look at I look at the little girls that I teach and I I want them to live in a better world you know I, I know that I am living in a better world than my mother and, and even better than my grandmother and and I was raised this way and you know course my education helped me vocalize it and I truly think that the little girls are what has made me really fight for it. How long have you been teaching ballet? I mean obviously it's been a while because of COVID but how long (laughs) had you been teaching and I'm sure you're anxious to get back to teaching again. Yes I think it was four four years that I taught Mm -hmm. maybe three or four years so not very long and yeah I can't wait to be back. (laughs) You were teaching kids from the Regent Park area correct? Correct. So do you mainly work with underprivileged? Actually, it's interesting because I taught at three different places. So Regent Park Community. And then I also taught at a girls private school. So the complete opposite. Yeah. And I taught at the University of Toronto. <laughs> so also completely different. Is that the norm then for for you as a ballet teacher to be jumping around to different areas of the city and, and schools to teach in? Or is it typically one school that you teach in and then? you're done there, move on to the next one type thing? It really depends on the teacher. I was just lucky enough to, because of my ballet teacher and my mentor, I was lucky enough to have opportunities at all these different places. 
classes. Okay. And in the city at the Citadel, so the school in Regent Park, I taught there on Saturdays. So it was just my Saturday there. And then I would teach during the week at other places. Yeah. Sarah, being a female entrepreneur yourself, what are your thoughts on the landscape of entrepreneurship and women-run businesses? Are you seeing a shift personally in terms of more women making the jump into entrepreneurship? And if so, why do you think that is? Yeah, you know, I think progress has been made. I think we are breaking down barriers. I know that we'll continue to fight to break down more. But yes, women are seeing it now as much more of a possibility than ever before. And I think that they're feeling empowered to take that jump and and do what they're passionate about because there are systems in place and people and community to support them. And, and they feel like it's a possibility, whereas it, it wasn't before. Yeah. Do you think a brighter light has been shone on, shown on this um, as a result of COVID? Yes and no. I okay. think, you know, I think COVID has been very difficult on so many business owners and entrepreneurs. And I think, you know, a lot of female entrepreneurs are mothers and children have been home from school. And I think it's proved to be very difficult but I do think that there have been wonderful you know shop local programs and programs to support entrepreneurs that have uplifted these women and and, and allowed them to shine as well so I think I think a bit of both yeah I mean I've read that women were the hardest hit as a result of COVID in terms of job loss and being impacted financially. Wow. You know, I'm not surprised <laughs> yeah this this I can't remember the exact numbers but they're pretty staggering so I just figured that maybe that had a huge part to play as of late anyways, with the thought and idea of women making that shift into entrepreneurship. But I mean, I'm sure that part of that also has to do with corporate culture where women aren't treated the same as men in that world in terms of not getting equal pay for doing the same jobs as their male counterparts and not enough women in C-suite level positions in these corporations. I'm sure women are just tired of that kind of treatment and fed up with the old boys club mentality and just saying, fuck it, I'm making the jump and I'll be my own CEO if I have to. Right on, 100%, 100%. What excites or inspires you the most about being an entrepreneur, Sarah? Yeah, you know, I love seeing my ideas come to life and I just love being able to help others. So, you know, the connections I've made through this business have been amazing. It's incredible, you know, just to have such a strong group of women going on this journey with me, you know, my mom, my grandma, all the women that I've met, the other female entrepreneurs, you know, my friends, my family. And I just, I couldn't do it without all of them and all of their support. True sense of community. Yes, exactly. To date, what would you say is your biggest high or your greatest win? In terms of my business, I think just launching this company and and seeing it start to help and inspire others and seeing others take action has just been incredible. Was it your plan from the beginning to have your mom and your grandmother involved or did that just kind of happen? Well, you know, my mom is my rock. She is always supporting me. And so I asked her for help and we kind of, she helped me, you know, develop ideas and then my grandma's always been a potter and I thought well why not have my own family the women in my family be part of my business and and so that's how it all started (laughs) I love it that's awesome (laughs) getting to work with your mom and your grandmother amazing amazing (laughs) what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful (laughs) you know I think I'm very compassionate and I'm full of love (laughs) and I just 
you know, I want to help people. I want to bring people together and I want to uplift them. I'm really an open book. <laughs> and I yeah. think, you know, people feel comfortable around me and enough so that they, you know, they can grow and they can succeed alongside of me and, and we can share our journeys together. And, and yeah, I think that's a superpower. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Speaking of success, how do you define the word success? What does that word mean to you? Yeah, you know, I, I love this question because, and I love that you're asking me now, because I think my definition has changed dramatically over the last few years. You know, I was always trying to fit into a mold, but I think success means happiness, you know, and it means sharing that happiness with others and being able to share that happiness with others and creating a better world and a better life for those around you and not just those who look like you either you know and not those who who live like you but everyone yeah everyone deserves to be happy exactly what would you say is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received to do your best you know it's it's not going to look the same every day but always try and do your best wake up in the morning and say okay it's a new day and I'm going to do the best that I can with who I am today What makes you feel inspired or like your best self? Definitely my family and my friends, of course, but also just seeing how my efforts have impacted people. You know, when I, when my students give me a big hug or <laughs> you, know, you just have an, a, a powerful conversation where, where you leave feeling inspired, you know, yeah. what wants me to, like makes me want to do better. And then also, you know, lots of self-care. I love the quote, you know, you can't fill up other people's cups when yours is empty. So yeah. Lots of self-care. <laughs> I can't even imagine how amazing that must feel being a teacher and seeing your students grow and succeed as dancers and like seeing that unfold right before your eyes. It must be one of the most incredible things. It is, it is so special. And just, you know, these beautiful children who come and dance is so vulnerable and you have to, you have to let yourself go and be free and and seeing that happen and seeing them come out of their shells you know the shy quiet ones who stand there and so proud and it's, <laughs> it's just incredible to see them feel so confident and proud and beautiful like there's nothing like that and yeah yes <laughs> especially in in kids right i mean what oh, yeah. what is the age range of the kids you teach i teach from 3 all the way up to adult <laughs> oh wow yeah so, so out of that, out of those, what is your favorite age group to teach then? Ooh, you know, not adults, but if <laughs> adult students are listening, I love them. I think they're beautiful, but <laughs> I love, I love the young children because, you know, there's, they can't, they don't hide anything. There's nothing to to conceal, you know, it's yeah. a horrible feeling. You're going to feel it in their dancing. And, you know, that's true with everyone, but it's, it's so true with the little ones, you know, if they're, if they're excited and happy, then they, they, they just move like they're excited and happy and, and it's brilliant. And then I also love teaching, you know, the teenagers because I feel like I can relate to them and what they're going through. And I, I just, I feel like hopefully I can make a difference in their lives and help them feel beautiful at a time that is so difficult. (laughs) Amazing. What was a turning point in your life, Sarah, and how did that affect you? You know, I think leaving the ballet world was huge. As we talked about a little bit, it was just so hard because it was my, my most, so much of my life, you know, and I felt like I was losing part of myself, you know, I went from spending hours, like I said, and then just completely losing it. But 
you know, I had to learn to channel that creativity, that discipline, that love, that passion into other things. And, and I think that that really made me a better person, you know, and there were, there were so many people who brought me back and helped me become that person. And, and, you know, I'm proud of that person. I think she's more open and more, you know, courageous. (laughs) Yeah. When you first started teaching, was it hard for you because you had to give up your love and your passion for dance and now could only teach as opposed to, and I don't mean only teach in that way. I just mean you could only teach as opposed to actually being able to dance yourself. Like, was it hard for you to, to transition into that? Yeah, you know, not really, because I think I went through the grieving process before I got into teaching. So, you know, when you're dancing, people ask you, oh, would you ever teach? And you, I would always say, no, 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 I'm going to be. <laughs> like, Is it, that was your answer? You would, you would always say no? No. Yeah. It was, it, you know, <laughs> you know, you're a teenager and you think I'm going to be the principal dancer in front of everybody, yeah. you know, and I had to grieve that. I, you know, a lot of things changed. I gained a lot of weight. I was kind of angry and upset. And, you know, you go through this, this grieving period. And I think that when I took the step to going to an adult ballet class, and so my first step in, in becoming a teacher, I, I'd moved past that. You know, I, I, of course, still struggled with body image, and I didn't look the same as I did in the leotard. And I, right. you know, but I, I didn't feel any type of resentment. And in, in fact, you know, I love children and being in the studio with them was just was a joy. Now, you mentioned body image. How big of a part does that play as a dancer? I mean, I'm sure it's huge. Yeah, you know, I don't want to speak for everyone because I think, right. it's, of course, different for every dancer. But in ballet specifically, there you were supposed to look a specific way, at least in the, in the old-fashioned version, which I grew up in, in the school that I went to. I went to a well-known ballet school in the city, and we were you were supposed to look a certain way from, you know, not just the way that your feet point, but the, the size of your shoulders and, you know, the, the length of your neck. So things that you can't alter about yourself. And so I think that a lot of people, myself included, chose to alter the things that we could control. And yeah. as a child, it, it, it's easy for it to lose control, you know, and to get and you take it as far as you can. And so I think, yes, body image definitely it was a big part of it and it it still plays a part in my life, you know, those insecurities and, and I think it always will, but, you know, I surround myself with with positivity and body positivity and, and just keep reminding myself, you know, of who I want to be and who I am. Mm -hmm. Now the shoulders and what, I mean, so (laughs) that is, that to me is mind blowing. You can't do anything about that. No. (laughs) So what you would be, you would be discounted as a dancer. Yeah. So seriously, well, <laughs> I mean, there's a certain yes, there's a certain body type they're looking for. Wow. And so you know, you want to have long legs and a short torso. You want to have it's specific. If, if you don't have that, you can't be a ballet dancer. <laughs> uh, not necessarily, and especially not today, because there are wonderful <laughs> companies that like that are inclusive. But for some of the old-fashioned companies, yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I have to ask then, how has your experience as a dancer with dealing with all that body image and all of that stuff that you had to deal with growing up as a dancer, how has that 
affected and also contributed to your way of thinking and your mindset around being a teacher now? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I'm not going to say that I, I, I don't struggle with body image now because I do. And I, I think I always probably will. And, you know, I, I've struggled with, yeah, all sorts of things related to body image. But as a teacher, it's so important for me to just value in each and every body and, and each child. And there's something so beautiful about each child and to highlight that. And, you know, I never talk about body image. I talk about posture and I talk about, you know, things that matter and, and, you know, what ballet really means and the the art and beauty behind it. And I'm not about um, what you look like. Right. Would you say it's easier for you then as a teacher because of what you went through and what you had to deal with as a student? I think I'm more aware of it, but I think, you know, I do slip into old habits, of course, you know, just like simple phrases like glue your belly button to your spine. No one can glue their belly button to their spine. Right. Your body doesn't do that. But yeah. just, you know, I still have to, to be very mindful of my the words I use and the way that I, you know, say things. And even the way, you know, because it's very physical, you know, you correct the, the dancer's touch. And I, I have to be very careful how I do that, what that yeah. means to them and, and you know, especially with the teenagers, you know, just yeah. very, very conscious. <laughs> well, I mean, with how things have changed in society, I guess that that would make it kind of tough too, no? As a teacher, not being, because back when you were a kid, it was not looked at that way. And I'm sure it wasn't thought of any other way than your teacher trying to help you along with poses and whatnot and, and posture. But yeah. now you have to be incredibly careful about everything you do. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, another thing is that most of my children are not white. And ballet, unfortunately, is, you know, has institutional racism, like, embedded deeply within it. And so that's another thing is that those bodies that they are comparing people to, it's just not, it's not acceptable. (laughs) And so I have to be very careful. and, And, you know, I want these children to have role models. And Misty Copeland, for example, it's and principal dancer of American Ballet Theater, you know, using women like her to show these children that they can shine and that they are beautiful dancers. And, you know, it's just, it's exactly, it's, it's kind of changing the rules a little bit. Yeah. Was that type of language, as you mentioned, touch your belly button to your spine, was that used with you when you were a kid? Oh, yes. (laughs) Really? Like a young kid, like you said you started when you were two or three, was that used when you were four or five years old, touch your belly button to your spine? Yes. So I think, well, I went to the stricter school, the professional school when I was, I think, in grade, I want to say grade six, maybe grade five. And that's when it became more serious. But yeah, you know, I remember being called a whale by one of my male ballet teachers. And that was like, it's just things that I guess you don't realize at the time, but that stay with you and that are really ingrained in these children. That is insane. He called you a whale? <laughs> and I'm sure you were probably a stick. Yeah. yeah. That is insane. There is no way that would fly today. No. Well, I don't know. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> well, I'm sh- okay. I'm not saying that it wouldn't be said, but parents would be all over that. If, if a teacher called one of their kids a whale, I'm sure the parents would be on top of that right away. 
I think it depends on the school and I think, but I think we're working towards changing it. <laughs> yeah. Is there, there's, so there's still a lot of work to do around that. A lot. A yeah. lot. Yes. And wow. just making it more inclusive and, and I guess just redefining what the ballet world means, you know? Yeah. In terms of body image and whatnot, have you seen change? Yes. You know, there are beautiful companies that are so inclusive and have just the most incredible dancers. If you've ever seen Alvin Ely, they are unbelievable dancers, so strong. And, and you know, they are doing so well because they're stunning and, and so inclusive. And, and people want that, you know? Yeah. And so I think there is, you know, a, a shift away from that classical ideal even and don't get me wrong classical ballet is so beautiful and those those people work so hard you know right. they are just they're they're also stunning so i don't want to you know discourage that as well but yeah but I, I would still i would still think there still has to be somewhat of a standard in terms of body image or type for to be a ballet dancer it's just it's not what it used to be i guess yes correct but there is still a body type that's got to be there yes <laughs> yes yes okay and it depends again it depends on the company it depends on the institution right right sarah who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why you know there's so many people and women really who have made yeah. me who i am my mom again is just my rock she supports me in all my endeavors and then picks me up when i fall my ballet teachers my professors you know strong women have paved the way for me. (laughs) What does the word empowerment mean to you? I mean, it means to take power, to take that power and take courage and strength and and confidence. And, and sometimes it's not given to you, you know, you have to fight for it. And, and then when you do have it, I believe it's your duty to pass it along to others. Yeah. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? What was your life like after learning it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think fear of judgment and disappointment has always been hard for me. I thought, you know, I should be one thing in life, whether it would make me happy or not. And I thought I should be with a specific type of person, you know, whether it would make me happy or not. And I think just learning to let go of that has definitely changed me and just being able, you know, to choose happiness. Yeah. Okay, we're going to do a little rapid fire section here. So the next group of questions will be one, two, three word answer type thing. Okay. Awesome. How would you describe yourself in one word? Love. You know, I'm full of love. (laughs) Full of passion. (laughs) Money or fame? (laughs) I think probably money. Early bird or night owl? Uh, Early bird. What's the first thing you think when I say the word future? I feel excited. (laughs) If you came with a warning label, what would yours say? Overshare. (laughs) If you could teach the world one thing, what would that be? Lead with love and live and let live. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Peace on earth, as cliche as it sounds, you know, just love, peace, happiness. (laughs) What is your favorite entrepreneurial book? It's not really entrepreneurial, but uh, I love the four agreements. If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change? I would make it more equitable (laughs) and, of course, more (laughs) eco-forward. Yeah, of course. (laughs) My favorite way to unwind is? To take a bath, read. (laughs) Entrepreneur life is? Hectic. 
the last book or podcast I listened to or read was? Half of a Yellow Sun. Okay, that concludes our rapid fire section. Back to our regularly scheduled (laughs) program. What gives you the motivation to keep going, Sarah? Just passion, my drive, my family, my ballet girls, the fresh (laughs) air, (laughs) outdoors. (laughs) What would you say is your personal motto? Live and let live. What is one of your biggest failures or life lessons and what did you learn from it? You know, I wasn't accepted into the PhD program that I wanted. So I wanted to continue on at the university. And, you know, this is probably part of the reason that, you know, when you asked why I didn't, I haven't continued my research. This is why, you know, I thought this was going to be my future. I was going to be an academic. It was heartbreaking. But then, you know, I ended up traveling the world and starting my business and finding my passion. And yeah, so... I don't know. I guess it all worked out. <laughs> it all worked out the way it was supposed to. I mean, maybe you would have never found your passion. Yeah. It exactly. does not happen that way. Exactly. If you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I didn't ask you? You know, I think I was going to say just why sex workers. And again, it's just people sometimes feel awkward when we talk about it, but yeah. I think we need to normalize it and, and normalize that these are strong, courageous women who deserve to be safe at the end of the day. For sure. I agree with you 100%. Sarah, if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Just to believe in yourself and know that you're, you're doing great. You're going to be fine. And just don't let the bastards get you down. (laughs) (laughs) Lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? You know, again, just, Lead with love. Listen to what people have to say. Listen before you speak and, and, and really listen, you know. Remember that you're only living life through your eyes and that everyone's experiences are different and have shaped them differently. You know, be compassionate. And then also stand up for what you believe in and, and fight for what, what's right, you know. Fight for fight for what's right. And, and we all just deserve Yeah, for sure. You know, we all, I think we all need to learn to listen more actively. Everyone is always about speaking what's on their mind and what they want to say. And everyone's got an opinion. And if we sat and listened more, things would be so much different. 100%. A friend of mine always says we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. (laughs) I love that. Very, very true. Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to be here and share today a bit about your story and your journey. You are a true inspiration and I appreciate you and I appreciate you taking the time to be here. And I'm so happy and honored to have you as part of the Empowerography community as you are now a part of it. Having done your your interview and you're now in the Empowerography community. So thank you and I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's just been such a pleasure. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Sarah Holmes. She is the owner and founder of Love Your Mother Boutique. Thank you so much, Sarah. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you, and the same to you. Talk to you later. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca and follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.